Thanks, Drew. I'm uh, Dave Rankin. This is my wife, Denise. And I think we've got a quick picture to put we up do. there. Anyway, <laughs> so... How could I resist? I just... Lucky woman there. <laughs> so... Oh, and we've got another one. Yeah. Yep. So I know this looks like a prom photo, but it's actually our wedding photo. Two things. One, when old people tell you to put on a corsage, you do it. And secondly, um, I'm old school, and if you're not a virgin, you don't marry in white. Sorry, yeah. it's just, <laughs> just putting it out there. Yeah. Okay. I know it's a bad photo. Oh, well. This is, uh, this is uh, just a... a yeah, it just shows that we've been married for 40 years. We celebrated our 40th anniversary this year. So um, anyway, but uh, I'll let you go ahead and talk to the chart. So we start out in 1978, and aren't we happy? Oh, my goodness, we're so young and excited. In 79, we have our first son. In 1981, we have our second son. In 1982, we divorce. In 1983, we marry, uh, doing it the world's way, and very unaware of those clouds over our head because uh, the storms are coming, and that rep is represented by the black years. 2000, because of the black years, we divorce again. And then in 2001, we marry rather than with the world's solutions, with God's solutions on our face before him. Yep. Good. Okay. <clears throat> so, we done? Yeah. We're chart done. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1 a.m., and he isn't home, and he hasn't called. And he's always home by 7, and I'm frantic. I know that he's lying somewhere. He's been mugged. He's unable to get help. Then he, as he comes to the door, I am filled with relief that quickly turns to suspicion and then anger as I listen to his explanations. I was 27 with two children under the age of three, and my world had just been turned upside down. Yeah, I think, I think we have one more picture here. And this is uh, spring of 1982. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's our, our second son's first birthday. And what Denise was talking about, whenever I came home so late, that was, uh, I think that was really in spring of 82. And what I, I like to remember is this picture shows what I was willing to sacrifice to be happy. And... Um, you know, just kind of how did we get there? So going back to the very beginning, yeah, we can leave that one. <laughs> I was raised in a home with two older siblings and one younger. Our household was full of distrust and fear, both of which led to my feelings of inferiority. My father often drank too much, which led to violence. And my mother stood by as he disciplined us, and that's the word he used, um, without taking any, any, didn't stop it. My dad did take us to church and for quite a few years while my mom stayed at home. But after a while, my dad fell away and I continued to go to various churches with my siblings. And it was in the summer of 1963 at a vacation Bible school that I accepted Christ as my savior at a local Salvation Army church. On my next birthday, my ninth, I asked my mom and dad if I could get a present for my birthday, which was kind of unusual, but I asked for a Bible. And those early years were marked by a sense of not belonging. Um, you know, my fears were compounded by sexual abuse by two older relatives. And I was a pretty good student, both at uh, church as well as at school. 
And despite the chaos in my home, uh, God bless teachers, I tell you, whether they're Sunday school teachers or teachers in school, I got a lot of the accolades and just lifted up by them. But it led to me being an overachiever. I was pretty much perfection-driven. If something wasn't perfect, it wasn't good enough. Eventually, I drifted away from the church and from God. My mid-teen years, I was working full-time. You know, I was hanging out with a bunch of older, older guys, so we were doing recreational drugs. It was back in the 70s. And, um, you smoked dope. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I didn't inhale. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, the nights I had was the occasional girlfriend, but I will tell you, nothing, there was nothing that filled that emptiness that I had inside of me, and it was lack of worth. At 19 years old, out of high school for a year, I was going to college, I ended up marrying a girl from my high school, which all of us did back in this little city. She was 17. After three years of both of us acting out, she left. I had greater than $10,000 in debt, zero cash in the bank. And I think that $10,000, I looked it up in today's terms, it's about $40,000. And this is from somebody making about three fifty dollars an hour. You know, I added two part-time jobs to my full-time work and just enrolled in night college and just pressed on. Wow. Yeah. So these are just a few of the things that I brought into the marriage to David. My father's alcohol and heroin abuse, along with violence, had put my mother permanently in a wheelchair at the age of 27. My parents divorced, and from age 5 to 9, I was really blessed to live with my grandparents. There was love and stability in their home. While living with them, my older sister and I attended the small country church down the road, and it was there that I accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of 9. But there was no spiritual guidance in the home or from the church. Then at nine, I was sent to live with an aunt and uncle. These were not to be good years for me. The aunt was abusive. I'm the official page turner, I think. Right. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> good try. Hey, they stuck together. I know, good try. Uh, there was se- sexual abuse by a different uncle and the death of my older sister. I was 12 and she was 15. This was a tremendous loss for me. Anger towards God began to take root and bitterness grew. At the age of 16, I married and left that home. I soon discovered that I had traded one form of abuse for another. At night, eight, excuse me, at 18, I divorced. I had never been allowed to make choices for myself. Someone had always dictated my life to me. I was angry with God and generally angry with the world. This anger led to bitterness and a series of sinful choices such as sexual promiscuity and an abortion. At 22, after a failed suicide attempt, I was broken. I found my Bible opening to Psalms, and my prayer was, isn't God great, I tell you, 51, 1 through 12 in part, for a girl that did not know what she was doing. Have mercy on me, O God, and cleanse me from my sin. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Yep. Um, it was uh, March of 1978 that I first met Denise, my future wife, at Texas Instruments. And uh, anyway, I thought she was and is very, the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen, so I Aww. had to get to know her name. <laughs> so I made a point. She kind of jokingly calls it stalking, but uh, it was. I, it I made was. a point. I walked by her desk. You know, I had friends over there that says she's going on break, so I'd get up and go at the same time. So 
You know, I summoned up the nerve to ask her out on a date. And I tell you, I was so bad at this. It wasn't even a real date. It was for a drink after work. So, uh, and it was for the next night. I think I've got a picture of what, that, what happened. <laughs> that, that is me crashing and burning. <laughs> you know, I persevered. And um, we went out on the first date a couple of days later. During that first date, Denise and I talked. And we found out we had an awful lot in common. In between my multiple jobs, I saw her every day for the next few weeks. You know, I was convinced she was what I needed. This was what was going to fill that emptiness inside of me. I asked her to marry me after about a week. And unconsciously, I've shared this before. I was it drove me to, crazy. I know. I was hurrying everything up before that train with all my baggage arrived. We were married just 14 weeks after that first date. Ten and a half months later, our first son was born. 21 months after that, our second son was born. Although I had come to know Christ at an early age, I had walked away from him at 16. And prior to marrying, I still had not been reconciled to God. I had not asked God back into my life. But no worries, because when it came to that list of what a good wife is attributes, I knew I had it covered. I thought if I cooked, cleaned, stayed attractive, and was sexually eager, this made me the perfect wife. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> anyway, it does. <laughs> you, you guys are laughing, but it's true. <laughs> oh my goodness! And just as I intended to make that, and just as I intended to like make David happy, yeah. happy, I, he was going to make me happy. But at the same time, I took pride in being a very strong, independent woman, perfectly capable of taking care of myself. Proverbs sixteen five warns us: Everyone who is arrogant at heart is an abomination to the Lord. I had not yet learned to depend on God for all things. I was still in rebellion. But with the birth of our first son, my interest in church was renewed. It, this seemed to me to be a good start to find God's way for my life. Yeah. It was soon after our first son's birth that the issues I'd always struggled with began to emerge. I was really determined. I was going to be faithful. All I needed to do was work harder and keep myself busy. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Conversely, I found out that left to myself, I don't do very well. Between work and evening college, I had a lot of opportunities to put myself first, and I did. So, going back to that night when David came home late, within days my suspicions had been proven. There were two things keeping me in the marriage at this point and for many years to come. First, I had stood before God in all reverence to him and did not want to break the vows. Those vows were not just to David, they were to God. And second, I knew what it was like to grow up without a father, and that was not going to be my son's future. I didn't understand that I was still trying to control my future rather than trusting the Holy Spirit to lead me. Yeah, it was um, 1982, and I really loved both Denise and my sons, but I got to tell you, I didn't have any idea of what it meant to love and to lead a family spiritually. We had a lot of change that year uh, over those 12 months in January, we bought a new house, and it increased my commute to 50 miles one way. With one car. With one car. In March of 81, like I said, our second son was born. I took the CPA exam in May of 81, and thank God I passed. Yes. Received a good degree in accounting in August of 81. Started a new job with a new company in September of 81, and began working on my MBA in the evenings, January of 82. Makes me want to take a nap. I know. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> So, you know, I was trying to cram things into my life. Everything was new, but I will tell you, none of it, nothing was enough. In early 1982, Denise found out I was in an affair, 
And I can remember just being embarrassed and ashamed. I moved out. We got a divorce soon after. That affair that led to that, it, it soon faded. You know, I knew what, what I was doing was wrong. I had accepted Christ, so I knew I was in sin, but I never stopped. In just six months' time, I, I found myself alone in a little 400-square-foot apartment with some rented furniture, and I got my childhood Bible out. I began to read some of those passages, and I asked God for his forgiveness, and I vowed that I, I would do better. The emphasis was still on the I. I never really learned to trust in a heavenly father and put my faith in him, and I didn't really have any accountability. After less than a year of us being apart, I did ask Denise to give me and us another chance, and she did, with us remarrying in 1983. We went to church on Sundays, but I will tell you, I, I never felt connected, and I stopped going after about six months. In my mind, as I looked around at all the people that were dressed so nice, that none of those people had the issues I was wrestling with. I felt like I was unique. Fearful of more rejection, I kept everything hidden and uh, from others. A voice inside of me kept saying, you're never going to change. This is what it's going to be. I will tell you, the next years went by really quickly, but nothing really changed. We moved to North Carolina in 85, lived there for five years. Denise and the boys went to church. She started going back to college at NC State, and I was living my own life. Within a month of moving to NC, I knew that, we, that there was another woman. I didn't bother getting the proof. I'd, I'd learned how to recognize the signs. It was during those early months that I knew I was in really big, big trouble. We had no financial problems. All the things that you think are the reasons, like yeah, yeah, we had no financial problems. I weighed 115. The house was spotless. I was working my degree, et cetera, et cetera. From outside, our home life looked better than any TV family. But I now knew that if David did not reconcile to God and rely on him, our life together had no hope. But the Holy Spirit pressed on me the truth that David was more than my husband. He was God's child, and he had simply lost his way. And I remembered that there was a time when I also had lost my way. I was deeply saddened for our family and cried a river of tears. Although that move to North Carolina left me horribly isolated from family and friends, the isolation turned out to be a gift from God. It forced me to take my faith to the next level. I began to seek out God and allow Him alone to be my sustenance. Lamentations 3, 23 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies come new every morning. The boys and I joined a church in part to continue our spiritual journey, but it was also to maintain that family image. During this time, I met with a small group of women from church who listened to my woes, but offered little advice and never admonished my sins. Despite some of my motives, God blessed my efforts to know him better. I began to see how God viewed me as his daughter and David's wife. He showed me that I'd made my sons our my God, and that my leading of the family was in direct rebellion towards him. And I'd listened to Satan's lies that my fantasies about other men were not sinful. Proverbs 3, 7 tells us, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord. I was beginning to really trust God for all my daily decisions, and my prayer life continued to evolve. Most of the time, I prayed. Stop that, please. Sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Most of the time, I pray that God would make David into the husband and father he should be, and I wanted. But then there were the times that I simply prayed for a very large Mack truck to just run him down. Yeah. Yep. I know. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Yep. So we go on there. <laughs> Fortunately, this was short-lived. My prayer life was obviously a work in process. 
Through all of the years of our marriage, though, God reminded me of his forgiveness of my sins and convinced me to extend that forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five. whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in who is in heaven will forgive your trespasses. My journey with God was a process, and I was not always successful. You know, after five years in North Carolina, we moved back to Dallas. It was 1990. We had another opportunity for a new beginning, new home, new job, same people. I fell back in the same old ways I'd left before. The only difference was that this time I was attending church every Sunday. There were periods I walked well in my own strength, even holding a committee chair out at church, and, but those never lasted long. It was maybe a year or two. I was still in this self-imposed isolation where I wasn't sharing what was really going on with me. Denise and I separated in March of 1996 for a while, same reasons as before. Three months later, swore I would change. I even went to Denise's Christian psychologist and just told him all of the changes I would make. You know, I was still depending on me, 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 me. Nevertheless, Denise did love me. She took me back. Yep. With the return to Dallas, I began to match my prayer life to his word, to what honored God, not just what I wanted. Long before I encountered the phrase, draw the circle, God had etched that in my heart. I distanced myself from secular relationships and their opinions, including secular family opinions. And rather than pray for God to make David into the husband and father he should be, I began to pray for David to be reconciled to God. David was not merely my husband. He was my eternal brother in Christ. And this was my prayer for David, Ephesians 1, 17, 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what those purpose you've been called. I saw slow changes almost immediately. He began to go to church with us regularly, and within a few years he sought counseling. But the infidelity was unending and maddening. I became depressed and put on weight, but kept busy completing my MBA. In my heart, I knew that the God I believed in could do anything. He could save my family. He could change both our hearts. Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord and be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. God laid on my heart to not surrender the marriage to Satan. Yeah, fast forward to 2000. At least we're in this decade, I guess, or whatever. Denise and I had been back here in Dallas now for 10 years. Both of our sons were in college. We were in the middle of yet another separation, and I had contacted an attorney at the beginning of the separation. Of late, having a change of heart, I I was talking to Denise about us getting back together yet again, and I was on a bit of my best behavior. I was over at the house to see Denise and my sons when one of my former female friends came and knocked at the door to see Denise. This time I got to see firsthand just what my actions did. Denise held it together while she was there, in a moment of underst- then after she left, she began to cry. And in a moment of understanding, I knew that those tears she was shedding was going to be the last that she had for me and for us. Pretty soon, those tears dried up as she looked at me, and she, with a total lack of emotion, she said, leave, never come back while I'm here. You know, I went back to the apartment I had, and uh, it was as if the blinders that she had been praying for for so many years finally came off. The realization began to sink in that my actions, my sin, had just taken away everything in life that was important to me, my family, my kids, my, my self-respect. Um, I'm sorry. 
I, I fell to my knees as the full weight of my actions fell upon me, and I cried out in my mind, why? In, in that desperation, I did cry out to God, you know, God I'd walked away from, and I prayed that he would change me. I knew that me being in control had done nothing but create misery in our lives. I repented of my sins, and I begged him for his mercy. You know, I was totally surrendered. It was a state I had not been in since I was that eight-year-old boy at the Salvation Army altar. You know, I remember praying that if, if you won't change me, then just take my life, because I was tired of hurting her. I was tired of hurting our kids. You know, God is faithful. He heard my pleas and that complete surrender, and I prayed through most of that night. I got to tell you, I was still upset over the stupidity. You know, I, but there was a sense of comfort and calm as if a tremendous weight had been lifted from my shoulders. And I knew that was from God. I didn't realize it at the time, but those tears of repentance were a big, a new beginning for me. So I, I severed all ties with past sins. I canceled all the email accounts, burned up all the numbers, tossed away all the phone numbers and all. You know, I finally fell asleep. And I remember waking up two or three hours later the next morning, and, and I, I really wanted to share this with someone, but just thinking I didn't have anybody to call. There wasn't anybody that really cared that much. Uh, again, in Psalms, Psalms 103.12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I knew I was forgiven, but my life was a real mess. All that I knew that I, I knew I needed to read my Bible and I had to get reacquainted with God. So I did that all weekend. The next Monday I got to work, I picked up the phone and I called Denise and I received that same terse tone before she slammed the phone down telling me never to call again. I was actually a little upset, you know, it was, and I shared with you guys, it was like, didn't she know God changed me this weekend? You know, after 25 years. So I picked up the phone and I called a friend of mine who was an associate pastor over at a local church, and I poured out my story to him. I was really expecting some sympathy because that's kind of his job was to do that. And I was surprised because he said, you sinned against God and you sinned against your wife. He said, God knows your heart. He knows what is true. He said, your life with Denise may be over. It may have been destroyed by your actions, but know that God is not through with you. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And anyway, I have had a chance to talk to him since then and thank him quite a few times. During that call, we prayed that God would be with me and with us, with my only goal to be the best godly single person I could be. To do this, I knew I had to grow my relationship with God. And one of the passages in the Bible I repeated often was Luke 9, 23, 24, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I cannot begin to tell you how much time I spent in prayer seeking his will for my next steps. This God who hates divorce, what did he want me to do? I wanted to honor God with my forgiveness, but was no longer able to trust David's words. I had been depleted of all hope that he would change, that he would surrender. We divorced. But a faithful God used my broken heart as the opportunity to break other parts of me. God had returned us both to clay to be remolded by his hands. 
you know, I didn't want the second divorce. I wasn't anxious for it. I, I asked Denise, I said, give, it, give us some time. Get, let us separate for a while, just because I knew she needed some time to see if the changes were real. But in the back of my mind and throughout, I didn't really blame her. I'd given her 20 years of, of lies. So um, I, I couldn't blame her for wanting to be away from me and couldn't expect anything more. I thought that whatever love she had held for me was destroyed and that it was gone, that I had killed it. But I will tell you, one thing that it, I did know is my life truly had changed. I was reading my Bible daily and was praying throughout the day and had some more attention to what truly mattered. God's timing is perfect as I got into a men's Bible study that very same week. And by the end of the six-week Bible study, I confessed to the 80 men in the room just what I had done to my family as in my sin. It was the first time I had done that in a public forum. You know, the guys at my table continued to meet every other week, and I had uh, some accountability because they would keep me in line as far as how things were going. I will tell you, some of the issues that I suffered with uh, from my childhood, they were embedded pretty deeply in my personality. So I was very fortunate to seek out and found a very good Christian counselor, and we looked back over my life, and through a lot of prayer and some time with him over a year, I was able to see just how fully flawed my belief system was. You know, God, our Heavenly Father, really did love us. You know, I was attending church regularly and reading the Bible and felt truly connected and accepted for the first time in my life. After a while, through the grace of God, Denise began to speak with me again. We were living a few miles apart at the time, and I was actually honoring what she had asked. I wasn't going by to see her. I would see her and the boys on Saturday morning. She gave me about a two-hour window to stop by. And I had an opportunity to talk to her about what was going on in my life. And really, it was just about some of the changes. And I will tell you, that there was disbelief and anger in my sons because they had seen this. They'd been witness to it. But I had an understanding, I believe this was from God, that I knew that I had sown those seeds of anger and disbelief. You know, I'd been forgiven by God, but the consequences of my actions would be there. There was no one else in my life. There was no need. God had filled that void that had been there since I was a child. Eventually, and you all have heard this before, I'm sure, but Denise and I went out on a Sunday afternoon, and it was to an opera. <clears throat> So I was pretty desperate to do anything with her. So it was, yeah. And we talked as if life was just beginning. And, and it, it was for both of us, really. In Corinthians 5.17, it says, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We began to see each other more regularly after that date. And within a year, in 2001, remarried for the third time. And as we say, we lived happily ever after. Right. Yeah. No. So we were reconciled, but being fully restored took some time. We were seeking God's direction for our marriage. We were committed. To, we both agreed we're committed to the marriage. And the first months and even years, there would often be times where something would bring up anger and as something was brought to mind. But before we got back together, we sat down and discussed the trust that was lost. So I opened my life up to Denise. I said, here are all my passcodes. Here's my cell phone. You can come by work. You can do anything that you need, whatever assurances were okay. And I knew that time was all that I could give her. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
The first couple of years back were not easy for either of us, but it was never about what was going to be easy for us. It was about what was going to honor God. In the past, David would have said something like, I said, I'm sorry, why can't we just move on? But this time, David was willing to wait while God healed my hearts, my wound, and my very soul. And I was willing to wait while God continued to work changes in David's life and heart. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, over the next few years, we continued to grow individually and as a couple. We were building on Christ as the foundation. I went to each of my sons in that first year and asked their forgiveness, but I understood it was going to take some time. By 2008, this is when we came to Watermark, was 2007, 2008, we had a much stronger marriage, but still had communication and conflict resolution issues. We were, um, um, we're sorry, I know, it sticks. It's because it's wet outside. You know, we were attending Watermark. We felt drawn by the transparency here. And I remember going up one Sunday, and our younger son turned to me and said, Dad, you and Mom should share your story, your testimony. And as I, I recall, I believe I replied, it would be a cold day in Texas before that happened. He said hell. Yeah. He said cold day in hell. <laughs> hell. Yeah. So we went through the Watermark Reengage program as one of some of the first couples and uh, to continue to discover the process of just what is a godly marriage. And we discussed whenever we were getting ready to get in closed group, what we were going to share. And we said, we don't know these folks. We're just scratched the surface. But whenever the facilitators turned to us, Denise and I looked at each other. We decided to put our faith and trust in God and said, share everything. Can you imagine? And like I said, she did for the next six weeks. <laughs> so, you know, going through re-engage, which really is God's plan for marriage, continued to help us. And it showed us areas where we were still wounded. With me, it was the guilt over the years that I had wasted and the effect of my actions on my sons, as well as Denise. And it was during a re-engage meeting I first heard Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse I used to stop that lie of Satan, that you will never change lie. We later felt called to facilitate a group at re-engage. And whenever we met with the Watermark staff, we asked, they asked what we would do with this group. And we said, well, we know all the things not to do in a marriage. So uh, we could definitely give them that. So we've been able to facilitate a lot of groups. And we really like newcomers. Uh, we've seen firsthand God's miracle that he's, 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 he's actually shown us during these years. Our testimony, the one that you saw, we own the black boxes up there. The green boxes are God's. It's really his story. And it's our way of saying thank you to God for his healing and redemption of a marriage that the world had given up on and our prayers that others will put their trust in him. In Revelations 12, 11, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We would like to say thank you to the staff here at Watermark and you all for letting us share and pray that God blesses you all. Amen.